We're on a thousand planets and spreading out. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. Some genre-related news before we get to today's discussion. Uh, Some of this may be just a tad stale. We were recorded last week. Todd Phillips' Joker has become the first R-rated feature to surpass $1 billion worldwide. The film's current total is just over $1 billion, $40 million. That's not stale, by the way. I looked that up this morning. This month marked the 41st anniversary of the one and only broadcast airing of the Star Wars Holiday Special on November 17, 1978. Significant then as it was fans' first look at the beloved characters since the original movie and the first appearance of Boba Fett. It is totally unwatchable and easily forgettable today. Noah Hawley, the creator of Fargo and Legion, has been engaged to write and direct the next Abrams Trek movie. Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Carl Urban, and Zoe Saldana are all expected to reprise their roles from the previous films. A new trailer for season four of The Expanse has dropped. You can check it out on the Fantastic Forum Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Fantastic Forum. And while you're there, if you haven't already, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We love to be liked and we like to be followed. The Expanse premieres December 13th on Amazon Prime. Also last week, Disney Plus released concept art for its upcoming The Falcon and the Winter Soldier series. In addition to the leads, there were also images of U.S. Agent and Baron Zemo. Daniel Bruhl is reprising his role as Zemo from Captain America Civil War, and Wyatt Russell is playing Super Patriot John Walker, the U.S. Agent. The latest Walking Dead spinoff, finally has a title. It is The Walking Dead World Beyond. The show debuts on AMC in the spring of 2020. The show stars Alexa Mansour, Alia Royale, Nicholas Cantu, and the just announced Julia Ormond. The release of Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures Godzilla vs. Kong has been pushed from March 13, 2020 to November 20, 2020. The film is directed by Adam Wingard and is the fourth installment of Legendary's Monster Universe. And some sad news last week as cartoonist, illustrator, author Gahan Wilson passed away on November 21st at the age of 89. Wilson was best known for his macabre horror fantasy cartoons, appearing in Playboy, Colliers, The New Yorker, and many others. He had been recognized with a World Fantasy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2005. 
His work influenced a generation of artists, including Gary Larson and Bill Plimpton. So, today on the radio show, we're talking about a number of things. Probably some of those news items I just mentioned. Uh, since uh, one of my guests, uh, I've been trying to get into the studio for a couple of weeks because of her expertise with Dave Gibbons and uh, Alan Moore's Watchmen. Uh, I will be talking a little bit about the HBO Watchmen series. Uh, so, joining me in the studio, uh, the ever fabulous and wonderful Shereen Nicole. Uh, we also have, uh, as uh, he's become a stalwart on the show, uh, Julian Lytle. And joining us through the miracle of technology via Skype, we have the Great Geek Refuge's Mike Lunsford. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having hey, me. Yeah. So look. So who was that person you were talking about with the expertise on? Uh, I'd be you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was you I was talking about. Oh. Sorry, you know, I'd say. You know. Now I'm scared. <laughs> Be afraid. Be very afraid. Yeah, so look, um, before I, I we get uh, going on this thing, um, I do want to uh, backpedal just a little bit to Star Wars. I had mentioned the Star Wars Holiday Special, which uh, 41 years ago on November 17th, this thing came out, and um, I've, I've gotten into several, actually shockingly, spirited conversations with uh, some fans. In fact, uh, a, a delightful woman named Elizabeth Jacobs, uh, who uh, I used to date many years ago, uh, and who is a fan, uh, told me that she watched it with friends recently and was entertained. I was like, Liz, I don't know what you talk about, girl, but, you know, so um, there was a point where, and, and a lot of fans who were not around when this thing first came out, have heard about it, and it's almost like some sort of, it's like a pilgrimage or something where you gotta go and you gotta, they feel they gotta watch the Star Wars holiday special. Let me just reiterate, for all of you people, there's no reason for you to watch this thing today. And I would call it something else, but the FCC has regulations against that. It yeah. sounds like how, fun. I how remember dare the you besmirch the good name of B. Arthur? How dare you? <laughs> yeah. B. Arthur was in this? Yeah, B. Arthur is in <laughs> It's 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 a train wreck. <laughs> this thing, Shereen. <laughs> it's a train wreck. I mean, if sometimes uh, a train wreck is a good time like, <laughs> on screen, not in real life, no. but on screen. I've only seen five minutes of it. I was like, this is trash. Oh, I was going to say, bad? yeah. Oh, it's I've bad. only seen that Ewok special. Remember that Ewok special oh, from way back when? I remember that. Yeah, the Ewok special is better than this thing. Okay, well then, there you have it. I like the Ewok cartoon. <laughs> I barely remember e, that. E, 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 e. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I had a nice little bass line and the rhythm. That <laughs> sounds like a Rankin Bass bass line right there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I watched Andre Eric weekend. Yeah. Well, the point is, is that this thing existed for a real specific purpose, which was to reintroduce the characters because all there was at the time was, well, we called it Star Wars. You call it Star Wars Episode Four. Yeah, uh, the, I don't believe uh, in that. Yeah, That's you know. nonsense. Well, I know. But, yes, <laughs> and, and, and 
it was a phenomena. I mean, this movie, and so everybody was really excited about the fact that they were making this sequel, and there was this bounty hunter, and you got to see these again beloved characters. Um, but and and in uh, you know, a hey, all right, there was a overarching story, um, which was uh, they were trying to get Chewbacca back to the Wookiee planet in time for this holiday called Life Day, you know, and so. Um, and in fact, that was one of the elements to the thing that I found highly questionable because they only did a couple of full Wookiee costumes and then they used the Chewbacca masks and they had these people in robes. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> it was very, very cheap. It was trash. Did, did you yes. see it, Mike? Mm -hmm. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay, then. <laughs> well, there seems to be a, a, a consensus. <laughs> there, there was a, there was a time, Shireen, and this would have been, yeah, like from the mid '80s until the, yeah, until the end of the '90s, where there really wasn't much other Star Wars media out there. So any Star Wars fan or junkie like myself was getting their hands on anything they could, and you watch it when you're a kid, and you're, and it's. It's like pizza. Even when it's bad, it's still good. And that's that's the way I looked at it. Yeah, it's still pizza. It's like, yeah. I don't it agree was still with bad. I mean, it was bad, but it was Star Wars and it was like, "Oh, look, there's Luke and there's Han." And like it was it was cool, but it wasn't like I don't think I've ever watched it again. It was 20 something years ago that I watched it, so I've never had any desire to want to watch it again. Mm -hmm. Well, and there was more Star Wars out even when you watched it. I mean, there was really no reason to. I mean, again, the reason we watched it is because we were literally starved for these characters. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, look, in keeping with the uh, Star Warsian theme uh, with which we have begun the episode, I just wanted to mention um, The Mandalorian, and specifically uh, because we don't really know. Apparently, and somebody would have said had this actually been introduced into canon, but I haven't seen it. We don't know what race Yoda is. No, we don't. Yeah, yeah. so it's never um, been defined. Yes, all right. So, but there is um, Baby Yoda. I like to call the the child of indeterminate gender Yodling. <laughs> yodling. That's, oh that's wow! What he, that's what mm -hmm. me and Rambo have been calling him too. That's yep. what we call him on GGR is the Yodling. It's a Yodling. <laughs> Listen, Yoda said Youngling. It's a Yodling, not to be confused with Yodeling. Yes. But Y O D L I N G. That's right. Yeah. This is mm -hmm. a Yodling, mm -hmm. and quite a cute one that has captured the imagination of the world. Mm. Yes. I'm already tired of it. <laughs> I haven't watched one crane. And if I wanted to not know about it, and they it's didn't impossible. Care. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I'm about to spoil everything from now on. <laughs> what do you mean? If, be, if the internet don't care that I didn't know about this, why should I care about not talking about anything anymore? Oh, that's not a good villainy, Madara level. Oh Look, wow, I, really? I, I can understand. Uh, you know that that's that's. Very reciprocal. <laughs> I care not for your villainy, sir. <laughs> well, look, here, here's where I was going with all this, though. So, um, because there was a piece that I was reading in the Washington Post where apparently, I mean, because everybody, and, and I saw a lot of this in different threads on the internet, because I know a lot of creative people and, uh, you know, people who uh, earn a supplemental income, uh, you know, from, from fandom. You know, in various uh, aspects and elements. And so, you know, people are looking at the yodeling and they're thinking about how they can make money off the yodeling oh, because the yodeling is just so incredibly cute. And so the yeah, opportunity for plush toys and drawings and um, you know, all this kind of thing. T-shirts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which you're going to have to be totally 
a black market about because there's no way Disney is going to let that fly. But that's that's an aside. But so here's the thing: there have been some uh, some gifts. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. GIFs, GIFs, it depends GIFs, yeah. on who you talk to. Just let it go. Okay. Take the title. It's gifts. Yes. All right. Yeah. So Those some are the savages. Uh, there you go. So some some gifts, uh, images, and animated gifts of the. Because uh, GIF would be peanut butter. Sorry. Ad- hey, you know, choosy right. mothers choose GIF. <laughs> Ad- of the adorable tiny green creature, uh, and and it was ruling social media feeds and news sites right after this character appeared on the pilot episode, and. Um, so anyway, but look, <laughs> apparently, uh, the uh, it well it was reported because these gifts started disappearing, and uh, there was a website <laughs> that reported that, I quote, for copyright reasons, unquote, Disney had deleted Baby Yoda gifts from Giphy, the online gift database, mm-hmm. wow. and uh, yeah, Giphy declined to elaborate fully, simply saying that uh, it removed Baby Yoda content because of. I quote, confusion, unquote, that has now been resolved. Um, but, uh, of course, here, here's the thing. And, and a, a number of people took exception. And the um, opinion piece that I read um, really sort of summed it up. I mean, you say, let's face it. I mean, nobody wants to be sued for copyright infringement. And particularly not by Disney. No. Because, you know, they've got that long green. And they are going to make sure that they sue you. Uh, basically out of existence they come to your house they uh, knock yeah. on the door uh, they're good they're great with ips but they're great with ips for a reason because they protect them like a like a mama bear like they will they are relentless about anybody touching anything that they think might infringe upon their ips and yeah. li- and they legally have to because if they let it lapse then uh, they yeah. could lose the rights yeah which mm-hmm. is a, oh, yeah. a thing yeah mm-hmm. so you have to protect them that way yeah. Well, but here's the thing, though. So um, a number of people have countered that, uh, well, uh, that fans do a lot of free labor to market their favorite media titles. And, you know, fans are engaging in that free labor when they, quote, cosplay, remix, social network, uh, convention, organize around their favorite properties. And uh, that work keeps other fans invested in a television series or video game universe or a film. It attracts new fans, and that maintains or increases the value of that universe's IP. But, of course, when media corporations restrict their intellectual property aggressively, they actually end up detracting from their own interests, effectively preventing fans from amplifying that signal. And I just, I, I, I was curious about uh, where you guys stood on that. Because, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I understand, Shireen, what you said in terms of uh, the the necessity, legally, of following up on this. Yeah, well, but, I don't mm. agree with it for gifts. That's just silly, <laughs> right? That's, that's just silly. But it is, it is yeah, a thing because um, there was a time when copyright... Um, lapsed after i think it was 60 years and so disney had a long battle um at 60 years of the death of the owner which was yeah well um so maybe not 60 years but 60 years yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. if if the owner is is deceased and so they had a long fight to maintain copyrights on all of those classic characters and so there is legally you do have to defend those rights you have to put trademarks and things on them otherwise you could lose them at the same time it's a jeff (laughs) you know like come on man it's it's not a big deal i do find it interesting that they're not taking down fan art you know 
See, because mm. fan art serves the same purpose, mm -hmm. but fan art it kind of belongs to the fan as long as they're not making money off of it. Mm -hmm. So they're not stopping cosplay. So it seems that they are specifically drawing the line at actual footage from their programming. Mm. Well, yeah. there's also some question as to whether or not Disney actually approached Giphy with this or whether Giphy was proactive in removing it. It's which, probably a mm. C and D out there somewhere. Mm. I mean, because Giphy, they won all of the, You think Giphy gave up yodeling, or as I like to call them, okra? You think they gave up little okra? Nah, they well, didn't. Okay. They didn't give that up on their own. There's a CND, a cease and desist that exists out there somewhere that says, hi, you might want to remove this. And Giphy said, we might. Hey, Giphy, <laughs> Giphy gives, does partnerships with businesses. Mm -hmm. They make money from gifts and having branded gift mm -hmm. repositories. Mm -hmm. Um. Nah, bruh. <laughs> Disney's like, um, I need, I need a taste. If you ain't give, you you ain't giving me no taste. You ain't hollering me. You you need to put that down, bro. Without sending these ninjas out here, them mm. lawyer ninjas. Lawyer ninjas. Yeah, you don't want to mess with them lawyer ninjas. Tink tink tink. That's, that's the that's the knife on the glass. Tink tink. That canai. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they, that they, dark wing duck shape. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, ordinary ninjas. They just sneak up on you. The lawyer ninjas. They 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 give you a warning. Oh, you know, just yeah. like that, some paper. That canai taps the glass. Tink tink tink. You're listening to We're fantastic. <laughs> You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming online at WERA.FM. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined this afternoon by Shireen Nicole, Julian Lytle, and the great geek refuge's Mike Lunsford. And uh, speaking of the great geek refuge's Mike Lunsford, Mike, uh, Mike's been feeling a little under the weather. And I had yeah. to wonder. Yeah, but get this, though. I had to wonder. If it wasn't, because, you know, when you go to a convention, frequently you come back and you've got <laughs> what's called the con crud, you know, where, you know, you have caught something by virtue of having been out there and burning the candle at both ends. Well, Mike, it just so happens that you just recently returned from Disney World, where I understand oh. one of your stops was Galaxy's Edge, <laughs> and the, the, the one new where Star I got, Wars ride, yes. The one where I got this thing that makes this noise. Did you make your own droid? Oh, you got a lightsaber. Did you make your own droid? Yes, we did that as well, too. Ooh, yeah. We have our own droid. Uh, mm. Yeah, it's... And honestly, if I got con crud from uh, Galaxy's Edge, it is a price well that I'm it. willing to pay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was... The way I described it, because all of us are adults, we, we've all had those moments where you see something that you really like or something that you really enjoy from whatever fandom or or comic book or movie or TV series, whatever it is, right? Something you're like, man, I would love to have that. And then you look at the price tag and you're like, ah, I'm an adult. I have bills to pay. I'm not buying that, right? That's the way Galaxy's Edge is. You, you look at this thing and you're like, there's this is not going to be worth the money that I'm going to spend on a lightsaber or on a droid or waiting uh, 90 minutes to ride the Millennium Falcon and then you do it and your adult side just gives up because that 11 year old kid inside of you is like this was the coolest thing I've ever done in my life and like everybody becomes a kid again I was, I was telling Yuli that when I was done building the lightsaber I'm standing outside of the place called Savi's workshop and there was another guy he was like the same age as me like maybe maybe in his 40s like walks by and he's like oh cool you got one of those new lightsabers you, you custom built I was like yeah 
And he's like looking at me, like elbows his wife. He's like, babe, I want to do this. And I look at him and I was like, do you want to hold the lightsaber? And he goes, oh, could I? And like, <laughs> you saw his eyes light up. And this 40-year-old man became a kid again. And it was just the coolest thing. And like, say what you will about Star Wars. Say what you will about Disney owning the IP. Like, about them su- suing people about this or about that. Like, they do this stuff right. Because once you walk into this land, it does not feel like you're in like a theme park land. You feel like you're on another planet. You can't see mm. any of the rest of Hollywood studios because of the way that they set it up. The music changes, the the scenery, like the, the way things smell, like everything is different there. And it, it feels like you're on a galactic outpost somewhere in the outer rim. And the characters are authentic. And like, it is, it, it's just awesome. And everyone is in that mode. Like whether it be the people that work there, whether it be like just, visitors walking around everybody is there for the same reason and it's just like it's dope and like even my kid my kid's not even a big star wars fan but he was like enthralled and like it's it's yuli's favorite line that we had while we were there but we're (laughs) we're on the millennium falcon and like my kid they they were piloting the millennium falcon by the way Uh, you know, no big yeah. deal. Yeah, well, they're all because they don't know. There are all sorts of things you can you can be a gunner, you could yeah. be all this. Yeah, but they were piloting. Nice. <laughs> we're piloting the Millennium Falcon, and we finish our mission. Right, first off, the kid's eleven, and he and he grabs a canister, uh, two canisters of coaxium, which was super. I was impressed. I was like, he's never flown a freighter before, and good for him, right? <laughs> and like, he he finishes it, and Hondo Anaka is like, all right, you know, jump to hyperspace and 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 bring the Millennium Falcon back. And Jax looks at me, and he goes. Can I do it, Dad? And I was like, punch it, Jax. And he pulls the lever. It was the coolest thing. It punch was, it. you felt, you literally felt like you were doing it. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, I couldn't miss that line. Come on. Like, I had to say that. That's it was, really it was cool. just the coolest thing. It was so awesome. Mm, yeah. Well, to say nothing of the whole Build-A-Droid uh, workshop, you know, the Build-A-Lightsaber oh, workshop, and as big as the Build-A-Droid workshop is, that Build-A-Lightsaber workshop to me, because that, in terms of, okay, now I got to say, I have always associated more closely with the Jedi than with the Sith. You know, I mean, people have, you know, it's it's like D&D. I mean, some people are fighters, some people are thieves, some people are magic users, whatever. In the Star Wars universe, I want to be a Jedi Knight. You know, it's like, yeah, Han Solo with the blaster, you know, rogue, all that, scoundrel, that's cool. But man, what are them Jedi Knights? That's, that's what you wanted to be. So anyway, all that to say, in Return of the Jedi... When, and and I, I used to read the novelizations of these things and where they got into a lot more detail. I'm sure some of this stuff wound up on the cutting room floor. But they referenced in the novelization of Return of the Jedi, because, of course, Luke had to replace the lightsaber that was lost when Vader cut his hand off in Empire Strikes Back. And so he returned to Tatooine. He went to Obi-Wan Kenobi's workshop. And it, the, the book referenced him using the old Jedi's tools and, you know, build it. But he had to build himself a new lightsaber. It was like, oh, wow, you know. And that was like part of the rite of passage, becoming a Jedi. You know? And so when Mike told me that they got the workshop. And, and don't they have like an old Jedi-like guy who's like showing you how to build them and stuff? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So there's, yeah, and, it, and it's, it's very like hushed tones. Like you can't even, like you can't just like walk up like a rube. And be like, hey, y'all, where can I buy one of them laser swords? Like, you have to ask in, like, because uh, lightsabers are contraband. So you have to ask them, hey, I'm looking to uh, 
exchange some scrap metal, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'll go over here and do it. Yeah. And like the guy's like, okay, we have to be quiet because the Empire is what, or the, the First Order is looking for us. And we have to keep this hush. And we know that all of you have a sensitivity to the Force. And I'm like, oh, snap. We're all Force sensitive. This is dope. And like <laughs> he's given us this speech. And he's like, you get to pick your, your uh, Kyber crystal. And the friggin' Kyber crystal sings. Like, as oh. you pick it and, like, go to put it into the lightsaber, it, like, makes a noise. It's, That's like, beautiful. the craziest. Oh, dude, it's it's amazing. And, like, <laughs> there's a video, and I, I swear to God I'm not plugging this, but, like, on my Instagram there's a video of my son doing this. And as he turns on the lightsaber, he goes, oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> that's. That's his his words. That was everybody's sentiment as it happened. Yeah. Like, because we've all seen these toy lightsabers and we've lit them up before. But there's something different about building it yourself and you're and they've got like the Star Wars music like building in the background. Like they really <laughs> do a good job of like making you feel like you're something special when there's probably a million schmucks that have done the exact same thing. Well, and the fact that they can still make the million the millionth and one schmuck feel special. You know. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it, it that is a testimony to how well Disney does this IP thing and, you know, the whole uniqueness of the Disneyland, Disney World experience. So so you say you're going back in May, right? I am indeed because we are Marks. Had booked the trip before you left, right? <laughs> well, because we got a really good deal, yeah. But, like... Yeah, like I can't. We, my wife and I, will literally have a conversation of like, ah, oh, we don't need to go back. Let's give ourselves some time. Let's go do some other stuff. And then Disney, in their infinite wisdom, will send out like an email. It's like, hey, you should call us and check about your bounce back offer, which is like your opportunity to book your next trip while you're still there. And of course, they offer us some obscene rate where it's like, hey, you can go to like one reduced. of the nicest hotels <laughs> for like next to nothing. And we're like, ah, oh, crap. All right, we're. Yeah, it's like in The Godfather, you know, once I think I'm out, you know, they pull me back in. Like, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I, uh, I, I mean, I got to go. The closest I've been to anything like this, I went to uh, this thing called Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas. It used to be over at the Las Vegas Hilton. And, uh, you know, you, got, you could visit Quark's Bar. Uh, you know, they had a mock-up of the Enterprise Bridge, and in fact, the Enterprise D Bridge, and that was part of this ride, uh, and also, um, you know, this Borg thing, and this Klingon, they, it was all great, and, you know, as a Star Trek fan, I was in heaven, because I went to a Star Trek convention out that way, and... Uh, while I wasn't conventioning, I was hanging around in Quarks and drinking Romulan ale and toasting with the other Starfleet people and, you know, getting into fights with Klingons and stuff like that. It was, it was really a lot of fun. So any fan, but it, it sounds as if um, uh, unsolicited testimonial sounds like you would recommend yeah, right? it. Well, the, th the thing is, is like for, for all of us, I mean, and we can all attest to this because we're all part of the fandom in one way, shape, or form. We go to cons. We, we, we see people dressed in costumes. We, we experience these events all the time. Never once in my life have I been somewhere where everything was so authentic and everyone's in character the whole time. Like, the stormtroopers walk by and they give you a hard time if you're on your cell phone. They're like, what's on that data pad? And you're like, <laughs> uh, nothing. Like, uh, Kylo Ren walks by and he's a jerk. Like, he just starts, <laughs> he starts fights with you for no reason. He's like, get out of my way. And you're like all right, Ben, like it, you just like, you want to fight with him, but you're like, no, cause you don't want to be that guy in the, in the, 
in the land. But like, it's just it's, I do. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> said something like that you pull out your lightsaber and you're like no not this time yeah <laughs> like it's it's just really it's it's authentic and it's it's enjoyable and i think that like even my wife's not a big star wars fan but she walked through the land and she was like this is really impressive i don't know what half this stuff is but this is really really cool <laughs> and come actually it's only going to be about a week or two now the new ride which is they, they call it rise of the resistance is opening up and they're saying it's like the most ambitious ride that Disney's ever done. It's like a like a 30 to 45 minute experience but like the way that they have it set up there's almost no line. It's like constantly moving. Hmm. And like, Is it like your, a 3D experience one? It's better than that because what it is is like you, you show up and like you, you meet Ray and Ray's like hey we're going to go on this mission and yada 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 and you're, you're flying around and they're showing you all this different stuff and you get captured by a Star Destroyer uh, from the First Order. And Kylo Ren comes in and starts interrogating you to find out what you know. And then you have to escape the Star Destroyer. So you go, it's like four different types of ride all within the same experience. And it's all like super interactive. There's like live action actors, like live action stormtroopers and a live action Kylo Ren and a live action Ray. Like all of these people are actually there. It's not like watching it on a TV screen. It's, it's mm. supposedly, I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll be able to tell you in May when I go. But like supposedly it's it's going to be the most ambitious ride that they've ever done, unlike anything else is what they say. And from from what I've been hearing from the people who've already ridden it, they're basically singing the same song. They're like, yeah, this is it was incredible. It was I can't believe they were able to pull something off like this. It felt like you were actually doing these things. What really impresses me about what you said, and you said a lot of impressive stuff. But that whole no line, the thing is just constantly moving. I mean, that's an innovation that is going to keep, probably make that one of the most popular and successful uh, attractions at any theme park ever. Well, and there'll be two of them. There's going to be one in, uh, here on, oh, uh, yeah, on one, Florida yeah, okay. and yeah. one in California. Yeah. Yeah. When you said two, I'm like, what? There are two of them? <laughs> yes, Superman, There's Double Jeopardy. I'm sorry, I'm reverting to type. Hey, all right, look, so that musical cue means that it's time for us to take a short break because, of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA uh, 96.7 FM, which is a community radio station here in Arlington, Virginia. And part of what that means is, is that you can be involved here, but it also means that... We need you to be involved. We need everybody to be involved. And so what we're going to do, we're going to step aside for a moment while we acknowledge the invaluable participation of our underwriters and our sponsors. We're also going to promote some of the other fine WERA shows coming up later today, Saturday, November 30th. But stick around because Mike... And Julian and Shireen and I will be back. We got more to talk about. In fact, when we come back, we're going to be talking about Watchmen. So you don't want to miss any of that. Stay tuned. And we're back here on the Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming on WERA.FM. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined in studio this afternoon by Shireen Nicole, Julian Lytle, and through the 
magic of technology, Skype, with the great geek refuges Mike Lunsford, and we've been talking quite a bit about Star Wars. Um, the one thing that I want to say, and I will say this again, because of course, in uh, a scant 21 days, The Rise of Skywalker, Star Wars Episode Nine, opens in theaters nationwide, and uh, it's, um, it's coming full circle. Uh, in some ways for me because uh, I got into this way back in 1977 and it's been a long ride since then and uh, it's all uh, in some ways it's coming to an end and I feel that's a little bittersweet but uh, yes the rise of Skywalker opening on December 20th uh, I'm actually gonna see it the preview screening I'll let you know how it is before that um, so there's that to look forward to but yeah something else uh, that has been absolutely huge uh, that has sort of taken over the airwaves in some way uh, the Watchmen series on home box office and of course Watchmen is based on the timeless Alan Moore Dave Gibbons uh, graphic novel, say, I, your comic series, depending on how you look at it. Uh, I read it as a comic series, 12 issues. I had to wait 30 days between each one. Contemporary readers, they just pick up a big old thick book. But one thing that's really impressed me, because I wasn't sure that I was going to like this Watchmen thing on HBO, turns out it's actually pretty good based on the original series as opposed to the movie and referencing the events of the original you know of course DC threw money at Alan Moore for years trying to get him to revisit all this stuff didn't work out too well apparently Alan Moore feels a certain way about Watchmen now about everything uh, yes yes <laughs> Right. How about that? Yeah. So, um, but uh, particularly uh, how he, uh, he, I guess he expected, because the contract I understand that he signed said that if the thing went out of print for a certain period of time, that ownership of these characters would revert to him. The other noteworthy thing about this is that the thing was going to be, because DC had acquired these characters from Charlton Comics. And they were going to use the Charlton characters in Watchmen. And then they decided, you know what, let's not waste them because, you know, we could have some fun with these characters, integrating them into our universe. And so uh, they created very similar types of characters uh, through which Moore could tell his story. And uh, those characters now have become classic and timeless. But um, this guy, what is it, Damon Lindehoff? Damon Lindelof. Lindelof, mm -hmm. yeah. Ooh, this guy, this guy really knows what he's doing because you know at DC ultimately they did a before Watchmen series and they had a bunch of different artists and writers working on that. They've got this thing Doomsday Clock where they've advanced the thing and they basically integrated the Watchmen characters into the DC universe. But none of this stuff has had the resonance that this Watchmen series has. You know, you now I know. Get it. Yeah, well, if you don't I, understand it, you can't do a good job with it. Yeah. So, Julian, you are somebody who has done 
uh, among the people I know, you've made the deepest dive into this thing, man. And I've been really impressed and appreciative that you have shared with me some of the uh, support materials. The keys. Yes, which <laughs> is very important. So talk a little bit about uh, the series, uh, what you've seen so far, how you feel about it. So for those who don't know, like the series is essentially works within the same world. It's kind of like a, a sequel of sorts to the original graphic novel. And um, it's focusing in another area in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the year of 2019 in this world. Uh, Robert Redford has been president since 1992. Um, we are following a police officer by the name of Angela, played by Regina King. Her police moniker is Sister Knight because of a, a tragic event three years prior in which a uh, racist terrorist, you know, domestic terrorist group killed a bunch of police officers in that town. Police officers are able to wear masks to protect their identity and families. So essentially all the stuff that the government tried to get rid of of mass vigilantes are now been basically carried over into mass police officers. And, you know, just like the comic, a murder starts off a whole new mystery and we get to meet characters from the previous series and a whole bunch of new ones. And the the cool thing is that they decided to make a website that gives you supplemental material because when you read the original series, you get to the end of the issue, then you might end up with like a chapter of a prose novel of one of the characters <laughs> in the series. <laughs> and you first of all, you first thing you're like, what in the first of all, I'm reading the comic book, if I wanted to read a regular book. You know, I go read a regular book, but then you start reading and you get into it, and then there's like a pirate story, comic story, the classified files. There's there's all this type yeah. of stuff. So mm -hmm. with the show, they have a character named Dave Petey, who was a member of the FBI, part of the Anti Vigilante Task Force, and we get to read his memos of stuff that happens before and during the show, along with other random things like medicine advertisements and <laughs> and like. Uh, written versions of like interviews and pamphlets and drawings of of of, of devices. <laughs> it's some great stuff. It is some really great stuff, and it can it can really I found at least it can really enhance your understanding of what it is you're seeing. You know, because yeah. the whole key is that they have uh, this Lind Lindelof. You yeah, say his Lindelof. name. Yeah, he he's advancing the story from the original. 12 issue miniseries and let me tell you something this thing goes off in directions that you wouldn't necessarily expect but here's the other thing though because so much of and and in some ways it's sad because uh, one of the main characters uh, and and haha <laughs> all right there are going to be spoilers for the original Watchmen miniseries but hey who hasn't read that right so in in the in the climactic conclusion of the Watchmen miniseries uh, one of the main characters, um, Rorschach, uh, is killed by Dr. Manhattan. You know, he sees things as his mask would suggest in very black and white terms. And uh, he is determined to expose Adrian Veidt's conspiracy. Uh, but this conspiracy is going to save the world. And uh, Rorschach is very, no, it's a lie. I'm going back to America to the owl ship. I'm going to expose this. So Dr. Manhattan kills him, but 
He has already sent a copy of his journal to his favorite publication, The New Frontiersman, which is this really right-wing publication. Now, Julian, I was very surprised to discover that because at the conclusion of the miniseries, you see this guy, like an intern at New Frontiersman, reaching for what they call the crank file, where they get stuff from their readers. And, you know, the, the publisher has just told him, yeah, you can publish anything you want. Go, go to the crank file or whatever. And apparently, uh, Raw Shark's journal has been published, but because it was published by the New Frontier, it is not necessarily accepted as being true. Yes. You know? And there is some speculation about the fate of Raw Shark because nobody knows that Dr. Manhattan killed him. Nobody really knows he's dead. Yes. You know? So, um, you know, it, but it, it's created uh, the opportunity for some ambiguity. And I just thought that was a neat element to this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. sometimes it's interesting because some people who have read the book uh, sometimes put their, they assume that the people within the world of the book know the same thing as you as the reader <laughs> of the book. And that is not the case. Nope. Even the fact that you saw something, not even every, all the other characters in that story saw what happened. No one else saw, except in the movie version, in which Night Owl 2 does see Dr. Manhattan kill Rorschach. In the comic, it's just Dr. Manhattan and Rorschach. Yeah, exactly. And people just think he just left. Or he died. Right. Yeah. But so they, he's yeah, they, like, uh, mm -hmm. he's an ominous, just as much as Dr. Manhattan in the show is an ominous presence of, like, American God, mm -hmm. Rorschach is almost an ominous presence of, like, an American devil. Yeah. Well, and it's also noteworthy, and I'm not really giving anything away when I tell you this, but uh, that um, homegrown terrorist organization that Julian referenced, uh, they all wear these Rorschach masks, you know? So, you know, he has sort of in some ways, you know, a la Joker, started a social movement. But they Shereen, believe in him because they read The New Frontiersman, which yeah, is and a they believe right it. wing, and they believe him, and yeah. he became a symbol yes. for basically the new clan. But they think Veidt killed him. Because in the journal, the last entry was how they had, uh, he and um, Dan Dryberg, yeah, the owl, uh, owl, owl, Night Owl, Night Owl, thank you, I want to call him Owl Man. Night so Owl bad. too. Yes. Um, they have concluded that Osmandius was behind this whole thing, and so they say, we're on our way to Karnak, which is his Antarctic temple, you know, a la the Fortress of Solitude, and they're going to confront him. You know, and that's the last that anybody knows of, yeah. you know, uh, Rorschach. But Shireen, you and I were talking about this uh, a few weeks ago, and you had some really fascinating insights on the Rorschach character because, uh, you know, he, he ended up being one of probably actually the most popular character to come out of Watchmen. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't ever Alan Moore's intent. I mean, this guy is a misogynist. He's a racist. Uh, he's right wing. He's... Uh, crass and crude. He smells bad. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> he eats just cold beans out of a can. Yeah, I mean, he's just really, really negative guy. Yeah. Um, oh well, I think the conversation we had was that a lot of people saw the choice that Rorschach made as heroic, when in all actuality he was incapable of making any other choice, um, because he really, like his mask, sees everything in either black or white. He because of the trauma of his past, because of the way that he even sees his role as a hero, he 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 couldn't make a choice for the greater good, which is what you expect from a hero. He he had to make the choice that was just purely 
whatever he thought was right. And he didn't care about what anybody else thought was right. So um, people walk away from Watchmen thinking he made a choice to save the world when actually it is quite the opposite. And it's interesting because what Alan Moore gives you in Osmandius and Dr. Manhattan and um, Rorschach is Rorschach is black and white, Osmandius is all gray, and Manhattan is neutral. Hmm. And hmm. Um, that's what Alan Moore is playing with when he presents these characters. Um, and it's it's interesting how we're very much seduced by someone we perceive as making the right choice, even though Rorschach probably did not. But then again, none of these characters make the right choice. That's the whole point. Um, is that they all do what they think is best all the time because their arrogance as heroes is what makes them that way. I think even the comedian speaks on that a little bit. And that's some of the stuff that Alan Moore was trying to get across. But listen, Alan Moore is a complicated dude. And Mm. riffing on what Julian said, even we who read the book and kind of know all the stuff that the characters inside the book know, we don't know the same things as each other. Because of the interpretation, if you miss a line, if you miss mm. a connection. So it's, um, Alan Moore gives you a lot to chew on. And although I haven't seen the HBO series, everything I've heard from people I trust is that um, Lindelof gets it. Like, actually gets it, actually understands what this story is meant to be. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's very cool. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA. FM in Arlington, Virginia, and streaming online at WERA.FM. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Shireen Nicole, Julian Lytle, and from the Great Geek Refuge, Mike Lunsford. We are currently talking about the Watchmen HBO series and the Watchmen uh, 12-issue limited series uh, from 1985, DC Comics. Uh, Two things that I just want to mention. Um, one is about the uh, HBO series, and um, I happen to be African American, and if you are African American, this series is going to have a particular resonance for you. I mean, the way it starts, uh, and apparently a number of people had to Google the uh, 19, I want to say 1921 Tulsa, yeah. Oklahoma race riot. I wasn't sure about that year. Massacre. But yeah, it, yeah thank you. The massacre. She didn't call it a race riot. It wasn't a race riot. It was a massacre. Destruction. And Black the Black Wall, Wall Street. Street. That's right. And um, that's the way that episode number one opens. And I was looking at this thing because I had DVR'd it. And I start looking at this. And I wanted to look away. I wanted to stop it, pause it, something. But it was just. I just I couldn't I, I had to keep watching I mean and one thing led to another you know of course it's got the fabulous uh, actress Regina King uh, in this role as uh, Angela uh, sister Knight and uh, you know she's fabulous Lou Gossett jr. is in it also fabulous he plays uh, uh, you know very noteworthy character I'm not gonna go into that but um, it's it was great to see him and and the thing this this HBO series is every bit as complex as the Watchmen 12-issue limited series, which is the other point that I'd wanted to make about the complexity of Alan Moore's writing. I mean, this guy, in everything he does, he brings that same level of detail and complexity to it. Uh, but, you know, Watchmen in particular, because when I first read it, 
I didn't really get it. I, I wasn't, I mean, I appreciated it. I was, you know, but the black freighter and, you know, all this other stuff. And it's like, you know, but then when it all came together, I was like, dang, this is, I mean, you, you just have to appreciate the quality of the writing and the detail with which more put these characters together, you know, because one of the things that I found and, uh, you know, just as, as a storyteller, you create these characters and you put them in certain situations and they'll tell you what happens. They'll tell you what they do if the character is well written enough. And, and certainly these characters are. And, uh, you know, what Damon Littlelaw, Lindelof, <laughs> I keep messing his name yes, up. Yes, Lindelof. Yes. What he has done here matches up pretty much seamlessly. Can I have an aside? Absolutely. The the difference I would say is that Alan Moore uses women as props. Um, mm, if you mm, look at uh, the Killing Joke and uh, yep. the creation of Oracle, if you look at mm. um, the Silk Spectre, uh, Spectre and her usage here, Alan Moore tends to use women as props. It, it's it's just mm. in his work and it's a product of I his time. I'm I not can't remember. It. Go ahead. I can't remember the name of the work, but the one where he uses all the um, fairy tale stories, where he uses like uh, Peter Pan, where he uses Wendy from Peter Pan, he uses Alice from Alice Lost in Wonderland. Girls. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's a really good piece of evidence, basically, to prove Shireen's point too. Like, it's an interesting story that goes to a very dark place, but the way it's written is very outdated for today's standards. But yeah, like he's Alan Moore has like I. I would be, you know how like some uh, people are like, oh, I would love to pick this person's brain. I would be afraid to pick his brain mm -hmm. because he's there's rusty. so much going. Yeah, exactly. He's he's a mad scientist. Like he's he's on a whole different level. Like he's come up with some amazing stories, but at the same time too, like I'm afraid if you were to delve in there, you may not be able to pull yourself back out. Yeah, and I think that what Lindelof and and the team behind the Watchmen series has done is flip that paradigm to to have full-bodied female characters that who are not mm, props mm -hmm. and that was this side i wanted to have um mm -hmm. if you listen to the um the official watchman podcast there is he talks about some of that specifically how they especially um gene smart's character mm -hmm. and and angela and other play and other other characters in the there's a there was a main focus of why they chose women, why they chose race, to talk about certain things in this world, to talk about current goings on in America hmm. now. So they actually added something that was lacking from Moore's work, and and Moore is a brilliant writer. I just don't think that we can talk about what a brilliant writer he is without so without those also flaws. talking about those flaws because to, yeah yeah because I think a lot of folks miss the opportunity when adapting a work to look at the flaws and look at the triumphs of the work hmm. and hmm. to try to correct the flaws while still maintaining the triumphs. And it sounds like this series is one that was smart enough and uh, accountable enough to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, can, yeah. I, can I? Yeah, sure. Throw, right. I just want to throw in real quick. Mm -hmm. um, I was, when they announced this, I, I was very hesitant about this because I was... I, I felt like Watchmen of, of all of the comic book series that are done. Like, I read it. I enjoyed it. I, I, I own most of it, if I remember correctly. But, like, I just felt that it was overdone. I felt that it was it, 
everybody talked about how great and wonderful and fantastic it was. And when they announced that there was going to be a series, I was like, there's so many other works out there that could be explored, that could really be delved into. There's so much great art out there. Why are we going after this one again? And I mean, I'm going to have to just eat my words because everything I've I've heard and everything I've seen from people that I genuinely trust their opinion on like have all said you gotta see this and it's like uh, okay I was wrong like I guess there is still more story to tell and from what you guys are saying too it, Lindelof is doing just an amazing job of updating this and making it contemporary and taking those flaws that were inherent in Alan Moore's work and kind of knocking them to the curb and saying all right well here's what we can do to update it yeah because i felt like snyder maybe didn't understand it as well as we would have hoped and maybe that's a moot point but it feels just from talking to some more friends who are big comic book readers it feels like this is a very different thing yeah well and you know the the what what snyder did i mean that that movie was a standalone and some of the changes that he made serviced that particular film, but it also took it outside of what Watchmen really was, because some of the things that he changed were central. Yeah, the other point that I had wanted to make was just simply that, um, yeah, and you mentioned Silk Spectre, and yeah, I mean, he it, more the way that Moore writes women um, isn't he doesn't give them the same flourish that he gives to the the male characters. But I note that um, both those, well, and and he absolutely, I wouldn't go so far as to say that Silk Spectre 2 and her mother, the first Silk Spectre, are exactly props. The mother a little bit more so. Um, the daughter was a lot better fleshed out, even though I took exception with some of the stuff that happened with her. But um, a lot of that had more to do with her father and her mother's relationship and her conception and and all of that you know and so she she sort of and more played with it because she existed to come to this realization about her parents and even that was kind of like, damn. I mean, you know, because that was that wasn't a healthy relationship. No, but she also existed to bring Night Owl and Doctor Manhattan into sharper focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, some. It'll be interesting to hear your thoughts once you actually get a chance to watch the show. I want to give some shout outs to Dave, to Dave Gibbons because he drew the comic and he is mm-hmm. just as much weight in in the characterization and the flow mm, yeah. and the storytelling and a lot of the stuff that alan wrote was after long conversations with dave I, you know the, the the beauty about creating comics is the relationship between the writer and the illustrator and what they do together to make this thing real and i think a lot of people forget about that they give a lot of credit to the writer but illustrators do a lot of writing and a lot of creating like you said, through conversation, I think that's a really big thing to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I tried to at least mention Dave Gibbon's name, but when we were talking about the writing, I, I, I went a little overboard in terms of Moore himself and uh, kind of focused on him, but it, it absolutely was a collaborative work, so there is that. Anyway, hey, that uh, sadly, that's all the time that we have for today. Um, I'm absolutely delighted that we got a little chance to talk about this because i've been putting this off because i wanted to have shireen on this show and uh 
So hey, all that to say, if you haven't if you haven't seen Watchmen, tune in. It's uh, Sunday nights on HBO. What is it? Nine o'clock, Julia. Man, you know, and and, and you don't want to miss this. Also, uh, you know, as per Mike Lunsford, go to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland or Disney World. You won't Tell be my sorry. Central. You'll get absolutely nothing. For <laughs> Not even drink tokens. Dang. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Hey, look though, you will get something if you keep listening to this show. It's. Uh, understanding and great content you can uh, visit the website at fantasticforum.tv also the show re-airs each and every thursday at 3 p.m here on wera and if you go to the website fantasticforum.tv you can uh, check out the television version which also airs on arlington independent media here in the arlington virginia area saturday and sunday nights at 8 p.m and there are uh, segments of that that are broken out uh, we've got interviews, we've got uh, news, we've got event coverage. There's all kinds of cool stuff, so you want to check that out. And be sure to come back next week. Same bat time, same bat station. We'll be here, and uh, we'll keep a light on for you. Have a great weekend, people.